All right, Nehemiah 7. You'll have to bear with me again. I want to, I was tempted, like, can't we just skip over all these names and sons and things and numbers? But I want to be faithful to the, the preaching and the proclamation of God's word. But here is the thing as we look at this, and maybe in your own personal uh, reading, you gloss over, glance through the, all the genealogies that are listed. But genealogies matter to the Lord. And they matter. The numbers matter in particular ways. Because, and, and as we think about that, as we look at these names and these numbers, as I try to pronounce these names, we have to remember God is the one who's superintending and sovereign over what he is building. And these are faithful people who responded to God by going back to a land that was desolate. And they went back there because they had a vision of what God would do again. And that's part of what we're doing as we are seeking to build a healthy spirituality in our own lives. So let's look at chapter 7, 73 verses, but a lot of those verses are really small. Let's see what the Lord has for us in this list. Also, remember, uh, those who are of faith in Christ are sons of Abraham. So everybody's got a lineage. Everybody who is trusting the Lord for salvation has a lineage that is listed uh, from Abraham down. I don't know how God does that. One day we'll figure, figure that out in heaven. Let's see what the Lord says to us in Nehemiah 7. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani, Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful in God, uh, and a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some of their guard posts and some in front of their homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who had come up at first, and I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah and each to his town. They came with Zerubbabel, Yeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Naamiah, and Naamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpareth, Bigvai, Nahum, and Baana. The number of men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parash, 2172. The sons of Shephatiah, 372. The sons of Ara, 652. The sons of Pahath Moab, namely the sons of Yeshua and Yoab, 2818. The sons of Elam, 1254. The sons of Zatu, 845. The sons of Zakiah, uh, Zakai, 750. The sons of Binui, 648, the sons of Bebai, 628, the sons of Asgad, 2322, the sons of Adonikam, 667, 
the sons of Bigvai, 2067, the sons of Adin, 655, the sons of Atur, namely of Hezekiah, 98, the sons of Hashem, 328, the sons of Bezai, 324, the sons of Harif, 112, the sons of Gibeon, 95, the men of Bethlehem, and Net- Net- Netapha, 188, the men of Anathoth, 128, the men of Beth Asmaveth, 42, the men of Kiriath Jerim, Cheperah, and Biroth, 743, the men of Ramah and Geba, 621, the men of Mikmash, Mikmas, 122, the men of Bethel and Ai, 123, the men of the other Nebo, 52, the sons of the other Elam, 1254, the sons of Harim, 320, the sons of Jericho, 345, the sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721, the sons of Senana, Sen'a, 3930, the priests, the sons of Jedediah, namely the house of Eshua, 973, the sons of Immer, 1052, the sons of Pasher, 1247. The sons of Harim, 1017. The Levites, the sons of Yeshua, namely of Kadmiel, and the sons of Hadava, 74. The singers, the sons of Asaph, 148. The gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Atur, the sons of Talmon, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shaba. Take a breath. Let's call it Shobai, 138. The temple servants, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hasufa, the sons of Tabaoth, the sons of Keros, the sons of Sia. Ah, you didn't know Sia's name was in the Bible, did you? She's a singer. You didn't know that. The sons of Padan, the sons of Lebanon, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Shalomai, Shalmai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Gahor, the sons of Rea'ah, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Pasia, the sons of Besai, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nephashesim, the sons of Bakuk, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Hahur, the sons of Bilith, Baslith, the son, sons of Mehida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tema, the sons of Neziah, the sons of Hatifa, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Sapphireth, the sons of Perida, the sons of Ja'ala, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pachareth Hazapaim, the sons of Ammon. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. The following were those who came up from Tel-Mela, Tel-Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Immer, but they could not prove their father's houses nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, 642. Also the priests, the sons of Hobiah, the sons of Hakaz, the sons of Barzillai, Barzillai, 
who had taken a wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there. So they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with Urim and Thummim should arise. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7337. They had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6720. Now some of the heads of the fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of, minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priest garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people and the temple servant, the temple servants in all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Lord, we ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, help us understand your word for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, there's a lot going on in this chapter, but within, within the, the genealogy and the list, I think we see that God is doing the next step in rebuilding his people in his place to experience his presence. And what we, I think, see here is the interior construction going on in the city, where we've learned about the wall going up and miraculously going up in 52 days. That was miraculous. Just like we see a house or a building go up, the exterior seems to go a lot quicker. And when you start working on the inside, it's like the snail's pace. Like, will it ever be done? Because you have more detail that's being attended to and attention given to. So here Nehemiah has done with the wall so that the attention turns inward. And what is the attention? Priests, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants. Where is he turning? The worship of the community. So now that the, the community is protected and there's a security about the walls that are in place, the gates and the doors going up, what, what Nehemiah is now doing is saying, here's how we're going to experience God's presence, by fulfilling the worship that the community of God is supposed to be. Kiva, I think you have like hacked my sermon notes because <laughs> the last few times you have uh, helped us lead in worship, you are like preaching my messages for me, so... I don't know how you get a hold of my notes, but it's pretty cool. It's because the Spirit's doing that. It's really awesome how he puts that together. I love it. But what we see in this passage are elements of a gospel community that center around, that have the mission of being a worshipful community. We want to worship with our lives. You know, the greatest, the greatest sign of uh, humanity as image bearers is our capacity to worship. We are to be awed, and we are to be enthralled, and we are to be thrilled at God. Sin comes in and distracts us, so we try to fill that thrill with other things that will never satisfy. And that's why in Romans 1 we see the exchange of the glory of God for things that are lesser glories, things that are created by God. It distracts us from who God wants us to worship, and that's Him. 
to understand his glory. And that's why he welcomes us into his glory. He welcomes us into being uh, partakers of the divine nature, which is his glory. So why do stadiums get filled with hundreds of thousands of people all over the world? Because we're geared for worship. We're wired for it. We want to express, we want to yell when something good happens. And God has, Revelation 5 I think is is the, the, the center stage of a cosmic stadium that all of us will be in. And that roar of that crowd will be something to experience. When we get to finally express and shout and praise seeing Jesus before us. Oh, that's going to be fun. But now as we seek to walk this out, we want to be a church both here locally, locally, but as well as globally. We know the church is going after this. We want to be a worshipful community. So what? How is this worshipful community expressed? What we see, uh, one of the things we, this is, I think, five? Yeah, five elements of gospel worshipful community that we see in this passage. The first, I think, is faithful friends. He gave to his brother, Hanani, (coughs) excuse me, uh, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. It is something. It is glorious to experience the friendship of a faithful friend. The one who sticks closer than family members even. The one that that sees what God is doing in your life when you can't see it and encourages you into what God is doing. That's a unique friendship. But we all know that friendship, faithful friendship, doesn't equal sinless friendship. And that's where it gets tough. Because all of us, I think, have, we have uh, experiences in our Christian life where we have sought to be a faithful friend, or we've experienced what we thought was faithful friendship, only to have it turned on us in inexplicable ways, and maybe exposed shamed, something that was geared toward not, not benevolence, but malevolence, when there was malice taking place in the hearts. In any friendship, even in faithful friendships, there will be times of breakdown. There will be times of brokenness, times of confusion, changing of seasons, where you thought you, were, you had more intense times of being a friend and more uh, situations that, that just separate you. But there will also be times of sin when we have to go to one another and say, all right, we, ha- we have to talk through this. I'm confused. I'm not sure if my actions confused you or my words confused you because the enemy wants to divide. But this is where I think a lot of us are. We've tried that, and it still didn't work. And so we don't want to do it again. I understand. But that's when we have to be that friend that sees what God is doing in the other person's life. More than trying to get something, 
And there's wisdom. We don't, we don't go into, if, if, there's, if we've been burned by friendships, yeah, there's wisdom in how we go about those friendships, but it doesn't mean recoil to where we're never friends with anybody anymore. It means we're wiser, but we also are still seeking to build what God desires to build within a gospel community. And so my, my encouragement for all of us is, be a faithful friend. Be a faithful friend as God empowers you, as God gifts you, as God stirs in you by his spirit. And we will experience, I believe, the healing and the mending that God wants. Because I, I, I've said it many times. We, we are a church that is a hospital. People come into these doors with wounds and maybe, maybe there's an infection in the wound, and, and it's just it's, it's more uh, uh, visible, and, and it's felt more, and there's a visible limp in a spirituality that needs attention. But sometimes it's just, no, that's just a scar that's on my spiritual life, and I don't want to address that. But you know, what, I, what I'm learning is that God... God's the only one that wants to have the scars on his body. And he works diligently to get to the, the root of who we are to heal our scars. We don't want to do that. We, we like the fact that the scar is there and we can just ignore it. We can go on living. But God, in his wisdom, he says... I want to heal you because it's through his scars that he heals our scars. It's through his wounds that we are healed. But that journey of healing can be terrifying and can be scary. What our prayer is and our hope is, is that we can be a community of healing that we really do experience a loving freedom with one another. Patience. We're going to be patient with things. That's one of the points. We're going to be patient with things. But we're all going to say, God, I see what you're doing. And I, I want to encourage what you're doing in other people's lives. Because that's what Nehemiah did by not... Remember, he's not making himself the king or even the governor. He's giving that away. He's looking, Nehemiah is showing, he's looking for what God's doing in somebody else and looking to put them in a position to succeed. We need to be faithful friends who also guard the work of God going on in the people around us. I totally forgot to bring it. I have a, a, I have a picture hanging in my office. by. It's way back from 1997. One of the teenagers in the youth group that I was leading um, did this pencil drawing of a watchman from the book of Ezekiel. The watchman was on the wall, and Ezekiel uh, prophesied that the watchman <coughs> excuse me, was there in order to see the war approaching. And if the watchman was, he blew the trumpet when the war was approaching, so everybody would be uh, on guard and understand. And from spiritual, that was physical, uh, the watchmen were there to, for physical threats, but also it was a spiritual thing going on that, that Ezekiel was pointing to as well that we know we can carry over into the New, the, into the New Testament living. Uh, but in the picture, the watchman is sleeping as the army is coming. 
And weirdly enough, he did it in pencil. And he presented it to me. He's like, hey, man, I just did this for you. I was like, this is really, really cool. Uh, and I went to go frame it. And because it was in pencil, the lady framing it, she says, well, this pencil, do you want us to scotch guard it? I was like, well, sure, go ahead and scotch guard it. So I scotch guarded it. It actually was the only thing that survived my office out of Katrina. Like all hundreds of books gone. But yet this one, so that was really cool. Got it preserved. And Kathy was able to match the mat because it was a little... It was stinky, nasty water that it was sitting in for two weeks, um, but was able to match uh, the, the mat. So it, it's, it, I'll bring it out and show you. But I wanted to have that as a, something to show you. Uh, we need to be those type of watchmen that are not asleep, but that are aware. It doesn't mean we're, we have the trumpet ready. It means we're just looking. And we're looking and we're observing and we're awake spiritually in what God is doing around us, through us, and in other people as we seek to be faithful friends. So let's have that as like, all right, Lord, I want to experience the healing in order to be the faithful friend that you're calling me to be within the community that you've called me to be in because that's part of us experiencing God's presence together. It's part of the worship that we are as the community of God. The second thing I think we see is a spiritual sensitivity, and Nehemiah shows that in verse 5. Then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. Nehemiah is just not about making a list. He put God put it in his heart. And I think what we see is that there's a, a constant connection that Nehemiah experiences with the presence of God. He has a spiritual sensitivity. It's like he's walking around saying, God, what are you saying? I'm listening. What are you saying? I'm listening. And how we could be the same way. I remember in college reading that little book called the, the, Practicing, the Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, who was a friar back in the 1600s in France. And he wrote this just how to experience it. There's a few different essays that he wrote, started when he was 18, and he wrote them through his life just as a sense of what does it mean to be constantly on with the presence of God? I remember it being a very impactful book, and I actually remembered, oh, that was one of the books that drowned in Katrina, and I never replaced it. So I want to replace it. Now I have, now I have it all on my Kindle. I have like hundreds of books on here. I forget what I have. I still go looking for it on my shelf. I'm like, I don't know if I have that one or not. It's weird. But we want, we want to be like what Brother Lawrence described. We want to be practicing the presence of God. He described washing dishes in the monastery as an opportunity to experience the presence of God. And that's what we want to be. We, we, we want to look at the, the mundane of life as an opportunity to experience the presence of God, to experience particularly God's pleasure in our service and our obedience to him in those moments when nobody's watching. That's what we want to be able to experience. Nehemiah also sought to honor those, his spiritual, (coughs) sorry, spiritual sensitivity was to honor those who responded first to coming back to Jerusalem to build after the exile. So he, he first, God 
puts in his heart to do this genealogy, but not for the sense of just making a list, but to honor those who came, to look at their faith. Remember, spiritual sensitivity, faithful friend, looking to what God's doing in others and being able to encourage that forward. Because it's the same list he found, it's the same list we have from Ezra 2. It's the same exact list. And he finds that, and he finds what was written. And so he's giving, he's giving honor to those who responded in faith. But he's doing that in order also to recognize that the people who came back had the right inclination to restore worship in God's place for his presence in his people. So in the third thing, this is like the chunk of these verses. There's a priority of worship. Look, he he puts in place priests, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants. We we learned something about the sons of Solomon's service, uh, servants who couldn't be enrolled because they couldn't follow their descent. Um, That quickly means Solomon was allowed by God to hire outsiders, foreigners, to come in and help build the temple. He sinned by enslaving people to build the temple. And these are the descendants from those slaves. Now, here's the cool thing. They didn't kick him out of the people of God. They said, no, they just couldn't track back. They're one of us, though. They love God the same way. And I love it's another picture of God bringing nations together to be his people in his place for his presence. But he has priests. What do the priests do? They handle the sacrifices. They handle uh, the, the temple work of keeping the temple and serving in the temple. Singers, worship. Gatekeepers, those who are like, Eric, come on in. Let's That's what the gatekeepers did. It wasn't this posture of holding people out. That was, that was some semblance of, wait a minute, you need to be, you couldn't go. You had to be of uh, Jewish ethnicity in order to go into particular places. There was an outer court that the Gentiles had to stay in. So gatekeepers did that. But gatekeepers were at the front door, handing out the bulletins, welcoming everybody with a smile, saying, come on in. This is a great place to be. So that's what he's putting in place. The temple servants, those who who deal with the utensils. Like there's a knife that was just used to slit that animal's throat for the sacrifice that the priest used. Somebody needs to wash that. Temple servant, he goes to wash it. The ladles that help with the water, they wash in that. That's what he's building. And now all of these were roles for the worship of the community now that they're protected and secure. And the mission of the city is being fulfilled. And the mission of the city is worship. And they handled all of the singing and all of the sacrifices. So what does that mean for us? Jesus is the final sacrifice. What's it mean for us? I think Romans 12 uh, verses 1 and 2 help us understand how this uh, transfers into a New Testament understanding, a new covenant understanding. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, (laughs) sorry, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This language of discernment and good and acceptable and perfect, that was the criteria used to bring an animal into the temple for sacrifice. You couldn't bring a maimed or a blind animal. You couldn't bring the worst, like, hey, this is not going to make us money, so we're going to bring this animal to offer God for a sacrifice. It was the best that they were bringing. So 
Apostle Paul's telling us, just in the same way they look for their, they look for their best sacrifice, that's your life now. Give God your best. But how do we do that? We sing and we serve. We sing. We worship God with song. What a gift. What a gift it is that we're able to do that. So we sing and we sing loudly. And even if it's not the right key or words, and we just sing loudly because we see God and we see his plan. But we also serve. The way we live, the way we make Jesus known through our lives, through our lives of sacrifice. So how do we do that? We work. The work that we do is as a living sacrifice. The work that we do to provide for our families, the work that we do to keep the mission and the kingdom of God alive and and thriving within the church. The the effect of evangelism where our, our hands and feet are out seeking to display the glory of God. Our lives, our voices, and our living shows Jesus to everybody. That's our worship as well. So worship is not simply song. It's not, it's, yes, it's that. But it's much more than that, isn't it? It's every aspect of our lives becomes worshipful. It becomes something of our response to what God has done. So with our work and our worship, we do it all for the glory of God. We do it all for his glory. And then we see this something very unique where I, I'd say it's patience over experience, ex- sorry, expedience. And this is where the Urim and Thummim came in. Like, what on earth is that? Well, one, those who couldn't trace their descent from the priestly class, from the Levites, because they were the ones that were commissioned to serve in the temple. They didn't have land as their inheritance when they went into the promised land. They served. And they very similar to what, what pastors do today. Full-time pastors who, and ministers who, and missionaries give their lives. We don't have land, so to speak. We were serving in uh, that... Um, I don't want to draw a harsh line with that. I think I, my, my phraseology did that. Uh, because it's just not one for one. But it resembles. Let's hold it there. It resembles <laughs> that. But within the community of God, there was... Land And there was a protection of the land that was inherited and passed on in those tribes. Now these can't, they say that they're, they're operating as if they're with the Levites, but they're not, they can't track their descent directly to Jacob's son Levi. So they need to not work in the church the way that they were doing before until some Urim and Thummim can be consulted. What is that? There were stones, at least two. Could have been more. This is weird. They were held inside the breastplate of the high priest. And they would take the stones out. And we think they would throw them on the ground. And by whatever was on the stones or maybe their configuration, they were able to see what God wanted. It was a way to use. It was a discerning method to see what the will of God was. You know what it sounds like to me? Rolling a bunch of dice and seeing what happens. That's what it sounds like to me. Now, I, I kind of think it was like that because, you know, I think what the devil has done. The devil has perverted Urim and Thummim. Rather than seeking the will of God, there are people throwing dice trying to get rich. 
trying to have some type of satisfaction in life. So I think there's a spiritual thing. That's why it's so addicting for some people. They can't just roll a dice. But, but we, in our, in our desire for expedience, we will try to make something happen rather than just be patient and wait on the Lord. What Nehemiah is saying is, let's just wait on the Lord. We hate that, don't we? It's uncomfortable. I don't like that. We, uh, we would like to just hit the sensor button on the microwave. God, you sense what's going on, and you just give it to me in a few minutes. I'll even wait 10 minutes for this one because I know it's, a, it's really frozen, so it's just got a sense. God, God doesn't work with microwaves. They're a wonderful invention that we use all the time. God works with a slow fire, an open pit, and he sits around with us. And he says, let's just talk. It's not done yet. Let's just talk. Have you ever done one of those, uh, it's the thing where the boiling water comes out and you stick your food in. What's that called? You know what I'm talking about? You take a skewer and you put it in there. Melting pot. Fondue. I've been to fondue. I've been to melting pot across the lake once. And that's because of this. I'm paying a lot of money to cook my own food. I don't think so. You're bringing my food out to me raw, and I have to sit here. But I was too impatient with it. I'm like, Waffle House is good for me. <laughs> Give me short order. I like that. Look, I'm sitting there, and we just have to. But what do we have to do? We have to talk. It gave us opportunity to talk. So I understood, all right, it gives us opportunity to talk and visit, not rush. So often we're in a rush. God is never in a hurry. Look, he's rarely early, but he's never late. Never, ever late. And he loves us, and he wants us to sit around the fire with him. Even sometimes when we're sitting on the burner, <laughs> it's our own lives. He just, I'm with you. Let's talk. And, but don't, don't go to a quick solution. And what Nehemiah is showing is he didn't go to a quick solution. And so we want to be a gospel community that doesn't look for quick solutions to things, but we have a patience to wait on God because we know we are waiting with God. Amen. Does that make sense? I'm preaching to myself on that one. Now the fifth one. There were givers. There was giving to support the workers. Verse 70. Some of the, the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. Now, I don't, I don't think this means they gave instead of working. I think these were still some of the same ones that were holding a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Back from chapter 4, like there's a, a real enemy coming. They were giving to the Lord's work. They gave of their finances because they gave into the treasury. And this treasury was to support the priests and all the temple workers, but it was also to, it was supporting the keep up of the temple, the building of the temple. It, 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 uh, it supported the mercy that happened through the priests and, and helping people. Same, similar um, parameters of how we use the, the finances of the church. But what we have to see is the work. Though... Though they didn't give instead of work, listen, their work on the wall wasn't their only gift. They gave of their finances. Now look, in our culture, we equate 
time equals money, right? God never says that. He doesn't say your time equals your money. He says your time is mine and your money is mine. And when we come to see his work, we will trust him with all that we have. We trust him with our serving. We trust him with our finances. And I bring that up to say, there, if God, I just trust that there are some who have gotten out of a regular pattern of giving. And I would say to you and challenge you, go before the Lord. Go before the Lord and say, God, what is appropriate and what is faithful for your kingdom? Because listen, our withholding of our finances from God creates an unhealthy church community. We don't think it that way because we don't see it. We don't talk about money. I don't talk about money a lot. You know me. You've been around me for a long, long enough time. Uh, this is the first time I've said, I didn't go back to verify, but it's been years since I've talked about giving, right? It's not something I'm harping on, but it's something that matters. And I want to be faithful to the word of God as well. We give. We give because we want to build a gospel, worshipful community. And it matters in every aspect. So we want, to, we want to be honorable in the matter that we don't talk about a lot, but God sees. And more than that, God is responding to and faithful to. He's faithful to it. So we... As a church, if we want to build a healthy spirituality, we want to seek to be faithful friends, sensitive to God's spirit, with the priority of who we are as singing and living for the glory of God. And we want to be patient with his work in order to see the fulfillment. We want to give to the work in order to see the fulfillment of God's glory resting on his people. So when others come in, they smell something. They see something. They even taste something spiritually. And they want in. They want more of it. Because they see us wanting more of it and experiencing it. So the conclusion is everybody plays a part. Everybody plays a part in this community. And if God has called you here, and, I, and if you're new here, I hope he is calling you here. Because we want to grow this family. And we want to see God do some amazing things in our church family. But we want to make sure that we are supporting God's healing and God's patient ways that he goes about causing us to shine with his glory and the love of Christ more and more and more. So we keep serving, we keep living sacrificially as we understand his glory. Amen. Let's be reminded of our great commission. You know, it's, it's, it's not great because we are great. It's great because God calls us to something we could never do on our own. He calls us to his glory. And he calls us to walking out the life of Christ in order to spread the kingdom of God to all nations. So let's be reminded as we respond, even to, to build our gospel worshipful community. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless you.